Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delt and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, just me today in terms of uh, hosting, uh, but today we've got two really, really interesting guests. And, you know, as we've been moving into talking about much more of these modern technologies and specifically around things like container-centric application deployments. So what are people doing specific to, um, you know, leveraging containers either directly or as part of broader systems? Um, and, and what are they doing to make that easier to deploy, uh, you know, new, modern, uh, distributed applications? And so today we're very, very lucky. We're having two guests on today. And uh, their work, uh, while their companies are independent, at least for what we're going to discuss today, um, very, very interesting application of, of bringing their two technologies together. So uh, first and foremost, I want to uh, welcome uh, Kash Sajaji, uh, CEO of Cloud66, and also want to welcome uh, Alexis Richardson, uh, founder of Weaveworks. You guys are you guys kind of are are in different parts of what we do. Cloud66. I'm going to let you guys kind of make introductions, but uh, Cloud66 much more on the um, you know services for developers and for DevOps, and and Weaveworks, one of the really exciting companies doing uh, you know. I guess SDN and networking around uh, containers, and, and obviously that's a very hot space with um, some acquisitions and some some VC funding these days. So, um, you know, jump in. Give me give me a little bit of background. Um, uh, introduce both of yourselves. I know a little bit about both the companies, but uh, uh, Kosh, why don't you go first? Introduce yourself and, and what Cloud sixty six is doing. Sure. Um, so. Um my name is Cash, and I'm one of the founder, uh, founders and CEO of Cloud66. We started the company um, early 2013 when um, we started uh, roll out something that back then we used to call App Store for SysOps, and that just shows uh, you know how 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 old we are. <laughs> um, and, but basically, what it what it was basically we had we had different components for different this, different parts of the SysOps workflow, and one of the apps was. Um, provisioning and deployment of Ruby and Rails applications for full stack on any cloud provider. After a while, we realized that that was the app that was getting a lot of traction. So we shifted the company to focus primarily on building and deploying um, uh, applications full stack on any cloud provider with the whole management essentially taking care of about 80% of the ops of a SaaS business. Over time, uh, in the past course of the past year almost, we started to see that our customers are starting to ask for more and more um, um, polyglot, essentially, support for this. So you can have front-ends that is not just Ruby, not just Rails, but a mixture of everything that you used to have, like, for example, different types of back-end, but at the same time now on the front-end, like a Golang API you know, powered by Node.js for mobile and Ruby and Rails for web applications. So mm-hmm. we started to see that and we found, we looked around and the best te- technology for that to support it was uh, essentially Docker and containers. Going back to our customers, we realized that, um, you know, they really like the idea, but they feel that there is a lack of operational tools in production for Docker. So um, that's what we do now. We take care of a full stack container management as a service where you, you know, you can do it on your own servers on any cloud provider. Right, absolutely. So uh, I want to dig into it a little bit more. But uh, Alexi, um, tell tell us about not only what what Weave is doing, but also what Weave's been doing with with Cloud sixty six. So um, absolutely, thanks, Brian. 
Uh, Weave is a technology for building um, larger scale applications with containers, um, especially with Docker. Uh, we launched the product as a network for containers, which at the time was one of the most painful and egregious issues with using Docker, that you could very easily start a single machine app on your laptop. But it was difficult to scale it up to multiple machines, uh, certainly not in a, uh, in a portable manner. What we decided to do was uh, build some technology to make that not only easy, but completely portable. And what we've done since then is we've started to elaborate that mission, um, really focusing on the problem of building an application by looking at what are the other things that you need around the network in order to build applications. And right now we're focusing on service discovery and on automatic address allocation, but there are other things to come in the future. And so looking at Cloud 66 as an example, the problem that we learned about when Cash spoke to us last year is that you know he is supporting many, many, many different customers, I mean hundreds of them, and each one has uh, multiple teams working on different applications, and each one of those applications is architected slightly differently. So you know, we don't know in advance what the application is going to look like. So how are we going to deliver um, a containerized solution that's going to work anywhere for multiple hosts, not knowing anything at all about where it's going to run? And I think Cash has revealed that we're talking now about 70 or 80 data centers that are supported with this uh, Cloud 66 product, which I think is a fantastic number. And so what we've does, the problem that we solve, is we not only make it easy, immediately simple, just like Docker, to, to connect these containers up, but also we make it completely portable so that that becomes the right solution for a customer like Cloud66 because they just don't know where these things are going to run in the future and they want them to move around. Otherwise, they can't deliver all the benefits of uh, you know, automated service delivery. And so I think that is a very, very strong value proposition and one of the most important early-stage um, value propositions for Docker alongside, say, continuous integration. I don't know what you guys think. What do you think about that? So yeah, no, I think I think what you what you both point out is is sort of um, you know two problems that I hear about all the time, and and two of probably the more painful things, which is you know from an application perspective, um, people want to go faster, they want to build applications. Um, you, you know, we're seeing more and more frameworks that come out and and sort of become the the hot one. So maybe it was Ruby, maybe it's Node, maybe it's Go. That's what they want to focus on. And, and the things behind it, even though we talk about DevOps, that, that blurring between what happens behind the scenes and then writing code, uh, you know, is still evolving. So the ability to go, oh, cool, I can, I can just write code, I can deploy it, and, and, and something will take care of that on the back end. And then you start talking about containers and the fact that they're super easy to spin up. They've got this nice framework for sort of supporting the application team, but to, trying to network them is... and and discover them, network them, uh, bring them together, especially in an environment where, like you said, you have no idea what your next customer is going to look like, what their next application is going to look like. You know, bring those two sort of uh, groups to solve those problems is really, really powerful. Cash, you know, I heard you you uh, you gave a talk. Uh, was looking was at hacker it was a hacker news event. It was in, in London, and you sort of talked about what you guys do with with Cloud sixty six is sort of a sort of like PaaS in that. You know, it's it's you know, bring your code, run your code and your applications, but it it didn't feel like um, necessarily kind of what I kind of call structured paths. Like like we tend to think about it was it had more choice to it. There was choice of sort of you know what what pieces people wanted to bring in some cases, and in some cases it was where it could get deployed. What are you hearing from 
from your customer base, your user base, in terms of what that flexibility that you guys deliver, and then supporting it no matter what. What does that What does that bring to them? Absolutely. So um, it is a very interesting topic to to look at, especially public pairs, and and look at the the way it's uh, it's always about to take off and never never does. And and I think it's it's a uh, you know I've, I've talked about it i've written about it quite a lot but i think it boils down to several kind of like three or four different main reasons one is obviously flexibility where you have some platform that's too opinionated to be to to fit fairly sophisticated workloads um at the same time the fact that it's a single monolithic platform that that has to cater for a, a lot of different uh permutations of you know configurations and everything else means that there's going to be opinion opinion involved, but at the same time, upgrades and maintenance and upkeep of it is going to be very expensive for the vendor involved. Therefore, pass becomes inherently very expensive. And when you combine that with a very slow ramp into upgrade, um, you know, onboarding, it means PaaS needs to be uh, involved. The vendors need to be involved at the very beginning of the life cycle of an application. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means you're going to have to have a free, almost free kind of pr- freemium model, which means you're going to have a very long tail of free users, all subsidized by the paying ones, making it even more expensive for the paying ones. But I think the last last issue with the public pass, which which meant it never went actually into like mainstream big companies, whether it's Heroku or Engineard or whoever else that might be out there, is essentially the fact that it ignores a big piece of what's in the organization. As the companies grow, inherently and naturally, they want to split between the new business and keeping the lights on. What is in, in the IT division is usually devs and ops. So devs essentially have to cater for business, the new requirements, changes, and ops are responsible for keeping the lights on. And when you give the, everything, you know, take the whole power away from ops, essentially say you don't, you're not needed essentially anymore. And developers are the ones that are going to not only develop code, but be responsible for when it's going to go out, what's going to go out, and all sorts of things around it. It, is a start, it starts to get to a point that as the company grows and as the organizations start to settle into this kind of thing that's, that's usually running the IT, uh, people move away from PaaS. So PaaS providers essentially start nurturing businesses uh, or the customers from hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars just to see them leave. And that is the high churn that's, that you see in a PaaS market. And that's what we observed. Um, we, we certainly come from an ops background, um, but what we wanted to do was Say it's not as black and white as that, that you either have a black box that's ops, don't think about it, just throw it over the fence and we take care of everything for you. Or alternatively, I have to write a script to take care of my network and storage and migration and decoupling from the cloud and, uh, I don't know, disaster recovery and all sorts of different things. So what we observed was, and we still do, is that there's a bunch of things involved here. And that is that you have um, customers who want to do less so they can focus on their core competencies. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that infrastructure is just irrelevant and ops guys are just not there. So what to build was something that looks like PaaS when you, when you look at it from outside. But essentially, it is something that takes care of the building blocks, the main components, the repeatables uh, that happen in the infrastructure over and over again for pretty much any workload. Yeah. And that's why some, some tool um, like Weave, when it comes to networking, makes perfect sense for us because it is something that is flexible enough to, to take care of a majority of workloads that we see out there while it's opinionated enough to just work. And that is the perfect balance that we can, we can strike. And we do that with Classic 6 We use Weave and other uh, you know, partners and vendors that we have that we use. Most of them are around the same philosophy. Right, right. Now, uh, Alexis, when, you know, 
when you guys look at a problem like this space, and and I, I was in networking for a long time, and a lot of enterprise stuff, you know, you're you're kind of trying to forecast, you know, a, a general architecture, and then you're kind of trying to think about, okay, how could this thing bend and twist and and change in the future? How do you, how do you like what's the what's sort of the architectural philosophy behind Weave that says we can we can take on environments that a have to scale incredibly large and and b you know, like you said, have this huge level of uncertainty at various points of time. What, what are the what are the kind of the key architectural components that you guys bring uh, to solving that problem? That's another good question. Um, I mean, I can list some of them, and and then we get pretty technical and out of my personal yeah. expertise. Um, but I would say that one of the most important is that we, as much as we can, do not ask our users to learn a new API or deviate from their existing set of tools or change how they build their applications. That is as much as possible a hard requirement for us. So, for example, the network doesn't require you to learn new APIs or learn new things about networks. It just manifests itself as an IP network, a virtual switch, despite the fact that it can run anywhere and go through firewalls and be secured and all this cool stuff. It shows up as a software network at layer two. Wow. And uh, it also shows up at a layer three. So you've got MAC addresses and IP addresses right there for you. The, and that means that you can carry on using your existing operational tooling. You don't need to go and buy a book and read about it. The next thing is that um, we, as much as we can, have adopted a decentralized architecture. So um, you can start up as many different Weave um, actors as you like, and they can converse together. Um, they don't assume that any one of them is privileged over the others. Um, I mean, obviously, there, is, there are places where new data is created and it may be disseminated to other nodes in the network, but it is a completely distributed system. And related to that is we have avoided um, Weave becoming in any way a system of record and thus um, combining that property with the last one about being decentralized, we are, as best as we can, avoiding systems where uh, consensus or synchronization are fundamental to the solution. In other words, uh, you don't need to get all the nodes to agree before you can proceed with an action in the system. Now, this means that um, things can pretty much start up in any order and anywhere without any problems. But it means that if you have cases where you believe due to your specific application problem that you are solving that you need consensus that you will use your own choice of a system of record for consensus in order to solve that problem. And that means that if you're in a traditional enterprise, you might be using some kind of configuration management database or another kind of database, or I've seen people using GitHub for this. Or if you're you know, part of the new wave of um, containers and container-specific operating systems like Coros, you might be using a tool like etcd or console to help solve these problems. And for us, it's very important that it's up to you, the customer, uh, which one of those tools you use, because our architecture doesn't get in the way of that. So those are some of the properties. And then there are other properties to do with you know, how the technology is constructed at a deep level, which things sit inside the container versus the host that impact these as well. But they're all really around the same philosophy of easy to use. You don't need to know anything. It's just going to work, and things talk to each other. So uh, you know, I hope that makes sense. But that is, those are some of the principles that we've adhered to. No, it's it's good. I think you know a couple of things that that jump out. So when I like, for example, when I look at your demonstrations, 
there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes, but what I see as an end user is is very simple. It's a couple of commands, it's a couple of things, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of communication then takes place behind the scenes and so forth. And I have to imagine, as you're offering that to to Cash and Cloud sixty six, it makes his life easier to go. Cool, I can I can take on these complex problems. Um, I can fit into my model where I want to give developers certain amounts of flexibility, but at the same time, I don't want them to have to worry about, like you said, those those basic core elements that they expect. They expect IP connectivity. They, they want things the network to look as simple as possible. But, you know, if I can make it work across those 76 data centers across the world, you know, that's a, that's an enormous burden off their shoulders and things they don't have to think about. It just looks... It looks like their local environment, but it happens to take advantage of all these global properties that are that are out there, whether it's cost or proximity or, or bandwidth or whatever. Well, I mean, I should mention that, and Cash may be able to clarify this, but my understanding of the Cloud 66 use case is not that we've is a single network that spans 76 data centers, but that the entire estate that is under management of Cloud 66 and its customers consists of that number of data data centers. And there are a very large number of different applications scattered across those, uh, controlled by different customers and managed by Cloud66. And I think that is actually where the power comes from. It's the, the heterogeneity brought under sim- a simple management framework. Right. Does that make sense, Cash? Yes, absolutely. So that's, 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 a, that's I think it's a very good point. Um, we manage um, a fair few thousand servers in about 78 data centers. Um, for just shy of 1,000 customers and multiple thousand developers out there, I think we, we manage altogether about 4,000 different applications or, or single applications in different stages in their environments. And you can imagine the different setups and you know, configurations from very conservative companies who always make sure everything that they use is tested, tried, and it's been in the market for a while to cutting-edge ones that you know, start using new technology the second day that it's out. You know, we have all sorts of things around the things that were written for containers and things that were built way before the containers came around. And by choosing technologies like this, we managed to essentially build something that, that can cater for those requirements without being too simplistic and, and, and um, uh, you know, so opinionated in a way that's rigid and you know, pushes people away as soon as they get to a little bit of flexibility. Now, both of you, both of you your companies kind of come from the space that originated as almost a distributed systems problem or a you know, modern application problem, which is, you know, sort of fundamentally becoming more and more distributed. Do you guys find, so one of the things that I find having uh, come from a certain amount of um, some of the, the older legacy enterprise types of architectures, which were a little more vertical in nature, sometimes thinking about, you know, doing these, it, it, you sort of have to step back and forget a lot of things to go, oh, okay, uh, if we're talking about networking, there's an element for, this is just an example, where, uh, there's the piece that's doing all of the discovery and routing, but yet there's not this centralized consensus or so forth, and that could be another plugged-in piece of technology. Both of you guys seem to be very much solving problems that are that are kind of fundamentally modular in nature. Do, do you find that whether it's the application teams and application customers you work with or the, the infrastructure, do they just sort of naturally get this because they're solving distributed problems or is, is there still kind of a learning curve that they're going through with, with all these cool technologies coming out you know, and, and giving them new, new opportunities? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, 
and uh, we have seen both. Um, I think in, in our case, for example, take the case of service discovery, uh, which is something that's very close to containers when you have you know, service-based um, architecture. You need, it is basically one of those things that you probably, pretty much require at the beginning. And you know, pushing that concept through was something interesting for us because when we started, we started with a, with a specific um, service discovery solution that required its own API and required uh, to be embedded in the code to be, for it to be used. It's a very, very good system when it comes to you know, delivering for what, what is required. However, it needed its, its, own, its own API. So with that, um, we went out to our customers and you know, tried to um, you know, ask them to integrate and implement it with their systems. And the feedback, the consistent feedback for us was, why do I have to learn something new? Why do I have to change my code? This has been working. I just want to put it into containers to benefit from ABC. Now you're creating like five more problems for me, which was a very fair comment. And for us, systems like that, um, that require you to have an API and require you to understand the concept of, uh, you know, how you're going to write a distributed system um, so you can have a distributed system is, you know, potentially one of those things that many of our customers are are asking us questions why they do have, they have to do that. So what we had to do, we had to go back and come up with a solution that doesn't require them any change in their code, but they can still benefit from it. Now, it doesn't mean that you can basically throw any code into a bunch of containers and say it's distributed. Obviously, you need some fundamental things to taken care of. But our philosophy is around making sure that those things are more architectural as opposed to around tooling as opposed to, you know, it's, it's, it's more about the design rather than the implementation that you need to have an integrated system. You have to spend 80% of your time dealing with different APIs that you have to plug your storage or your replication or your API, uh, you know, networking to, as opposed to thinking about how stateless your system is, how dependent to the, uh, you know, disk storage, for example, it could be, or what, um, how hard-coded the IP addresses, for example, are there. You know, those are the things that you see quite a lot in, especially legacy systems. And we are happy to educate, help, and handhold a lot of our customers to, to you know, take them to the next stage. But we feel that it should be around the architecture rather than the, the, the APIs and the utilities and the tools. Gotcha, gotcha. No, that makes sense. Are you finding, how, how much learning curve do you find with uh, people that either are engaging with you guys commercially or with, with the, you know, the, the GitHub projects and so forth? How, how much of a learning curve is it? Is it sort of infrastructure folks? Are you seeing application people trying to, to get into this space a little bit more? We almost exclusively talk to application folks. Okay. Um, and um, we spend about 85% of our time talking with them about containerization and very little time talking about networks and distributed systems and service discovery. And that's because of a very unique property of containers, which I think is worth mentioning on this cast, which is that um, as somebody called Neil Ellis, who's also based in uh, the UK, actually pointed out, because a what a container does is it takes you back kind of to the 80s and 90s because it makes the it's a it's it's a virtualization it's a it's a software version of a machine and on that software machine um, there is only what you need including one application and the last time we had one application per machine was the 80s and early 90s yep and so you go back to a set of tooling that actually has been around for over 20 years and works incredibly well it's very robust. Once you've understood that point, you can start building systems really easily without having to learn a ton of complicated things. 
without app servers, you just use load balancers. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. very, very powerful. And so once people get their heads around that, they, there's a real aha moment. And they think, wow, life could be so much easier again now. Thank God for that. Or, you know, thank the maker if they're not Christians, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite a revelation uh, for them. And off they go, and they're super happy. But it's kind of a lot of the battles are around just the tooling and wait a minute, what is this container thing again? And a lot of this technology, you know, quite frankly, whether it's from us or, or our, our friends in the industry uh, like Docker, is quite new. And there's, there's all sorts of little gotchas and kinks that you always have to work around. Um, does this work with that? Do I need to do this? This kind of thing. But, it, but, but not at the architectural level. Going back to Cash's point, you know, we want customers to bring their own architecture to the party and not have it imposed, imposed upon them. We want to get out of the way. We don't want to be in their way. Let me ask one last question, because obviously with any new technology, technology is always neat. It's a new, new, new shiny rock and so forth. What are you seeing um, you know, from, from your customers in terms of, have they gotten to a point yet where they've been able to put sort of a business sense, a business metric that goes along with this new deployment models, new sort of architectural models? Are, are you seeing them getting you know a business advantage in terms of something tangible yet or is it still it goes really fast and they're kind of having to build up that those muscles around what it means and then and then then those learning curves kick in i think just to to a great degree we are seeing that the the benefits are actually obvious when 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 you start kind of reading about it when you start talking about it so people get it um, quite instantly, at least from the outset. And there is, as Alexis was saying, you know, there is there's always that aha moment that you know it could be much more than that. But even if you start from the premise of okay, it's a VM, but just a smaller. Even if you start from that, and you go, the only thing that you got to get is like you're going to have dependencies just you know with your application, so you don't need to worry about different versions of different things, you know, breaking it. Or even if you get from the point that. You know, anything inside the container is devs, anything outside is ops. So then you know where the responsibility in the organization lies. Or even if you go with the, with the point that is about a single app, a single process within each container, which Alexis was, was mentioning, we, if you start with any of those entry points, there is, you know, the customers get it. They, they appreciate that they want something like this and how it can help them in terms of reducing their cost of operations or whether it's, uh, you know, extracting more juice from the VMs or whether it's, you know, portability between different cloud providers or having hybrid solutions or failover solutions or anything that might be there. So they see the value. And then at that point, that, and that's why I think the adoption is very much strong within the developers community. But when it gets to the ops, um, you always have, uh, you know, the things that are more about, Okay, so what is the whole solution? What is the whole thing is going to look like? Uh, where, where is the tooling around it? What's the production products? Is, you know, who, who's, who's going to own this whole tool chain? And um, how are we going to align ourselves when it comes to third-party risk when you have 20 different vendors for 20 different components within this tool set? And, and those are the things that you know, are, are the challenges. And our conversations are mostly with the customers are around something like, yes, I do get the value. I see how it can help me. But on the other side of it, you have... You know, all this risk and all this cost of managing all these different relationships and different versions and different integrations and everything else. And is this going to offset with that? So when we go in, our value proposition is essentially, so you get the value. Let me take care of the whole tool chain for you to de-risk it, to, to, to reduce, the, reduce the cost essentially for you. And the biggest thing that we find is around the clear split between devs and ops. Now, containers help quite a lot with that. And this is the biggest selling point when we go to our, to our customers. But we feel that there is, there is 
there's a lot more that we can do as an industry together to make sure that this you know, mentality essentially runs through the whole thing, that you know that developers can define the application specification, but the ops are going to tell you how the infrastructure requirements are going to look like. And that is, there's a lot uh, more that we can do to make sure this value actually runs down the whole organization, not only the development. Alex, do you, do you find that, you know, people are at a stage yet where they're able to measure a lot of the benefits or is it just they're at a stage where, you know, make it as simple for me as possible, help me solve some complex problems and I'll worry about that, uh, I'll worry about that down the road? Um, I think some people are at the stage where they're measuring the benefits. Uh, I have heard direct evidence of 10 to 15x uh, cost savings in cloud environments by moving from virtual machines to containers, largely by getting more capacity and getting faster uh, up t- sorry faster time to start up, boot up time. Yep. And, and actually uh, related to that, obviously, is, is lower cost of chain. It's just in terms of, just because everything happens so quickly, uh, you don't have to wait minutes for things to change. Uh, it means that you can just deploy more software in terms of automatic management of things, just a little bit more. It's kind of like... Um, just removing some frictions that speed things up and make things cheaper. Mm-hmm. Overall, when you add them up, I've, I've heard of people talking about 10 to 15x cost savings there. Gotcha. Um, and then, of course, on the sort of soft side, there is the overall feeling that things are easier, which is very intangible, but certainly is, I think, one of the key factors driving adoption today. Yeah, absolutely. And for both of you, uh, you know, the ability to to get access to your service, get access to your your code and so forth has become really, really simple. How much does that sort of, you know, last question, like how much does that change the way you have to think about running a business when, you know, the ability for people to interact with you becomes so much more sort of fast and frictionless? Is that uh, is that a, a, a good, I mean, obviously it's a good thing for, for your customers. How much does that change in terms of how you run the business or think about the, the decisions in the business? I'd like to answer that first, uh, if I may. Um, I mean, I've been doing this uh, game, I guess, for nearly 15 years now, having started my career in financial services um, as a trader, of all things. And, um, you know, we started out with a closed source product, uh, and we realized quite early on that we might be better off making it open source. This is the early 2000s. I was a European company called Metalogic, and we were working with the same investors that backed my people, and they were the ones who put us, put us in touch with Martin Mikos back in the day, and that's what really got me thinking about open source. And from there, I've been involved in a very large number of open source uh, projects and products, uh, some of which are my own, like RabbitMQ, working with uh, the founding team of Rabbit, of course, others which were started by other people like Redis and Spring. And, you know, throughout that time, I've gained an appreciation of how the business changes in the way that you're asking about. And I think the fundamental change, the big change, is that open source changes your business by making it completely inside out. Uh, In the old days, you would have an R&D team that was very small, and it was protected by a group of product people who were themselves protected by a group of salespeople who were accompanied by sales engineers. And they would go out into the field. And if you were a customer, you were very lucky to talk to one of these people for more than 10 minutes about anything serious other than money. And then if you had a question, you had to wait three months while that question was fed back through all the tiers of the organization to the product guys. And they would tell you, yeah, that feature is not, that feature will be ready in six months. Now, the guys on the outside of the team are the product people working on the core code itself. And they, they interact directly with customers through 
um, GitHub and email and social media like Twitter and Facebook everywhere. It's nonstop. IRC is another one. And as a result of that, you are constantly aware of what people think of your product and you're constantly being challenged about your priorities. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing. And at the core of the business, back in the middle, the guys who don't talk so much to those people anymore are the guys figuring out how you make money. So, you know, you'll have a separate business model that piggybacks off this, this underlying process. And that is also a good thing because it means that you are adoption first. People get into your product and they decide that it's useful before they figure out how valuable it's going to be. And that is, I think, the right way around. And what I'm seeing more and more with open source and commercial products sold on-premise around open source is that the, the metrics and the business practices look like the same business practices that you adopt with um, software as a service, uh, be it IaaS or PaaS or plain SaaS. The idea of um, sort of free mirror points, um, small steps to scale up from being an early free user to a paying user, and, and really thinking very carefully about your um, your marketing metrics around that. And that's probably a good moment to sort of segue over to cash with Cloud66, which is indeed a as-a-service model. And he can maybe tell you if he agrees with me or disagrees with me. Um, I think, I, I, in, in general, I agree with that. Um, I, I certainly myself come from you know financial services as well, and I always was on the on the side of asking those questions from the software vendors who would sell to me, and then you know that three months indeed happens and goes back and forth. That was one of the things that one of the reasons that we started Class Six Six and I left financial services. But I would like to kind of look at it from another angle, from from our point of view and, and the costs that we have. So we have a product. We are not a consultancy, right. and this product is is supporting thousands of servers um, for you know hundreds of companies um, with this very very small team. So we have to be very efficient. And the only time that we see almost a linear growth in the co- in the size of the company and the number of customers that we have is when we have you know support interactions and onboarding interaction when it comes to it. And especially going back to the previous question about you know um, education and you know getting pointing out what the benefits of containers in in this new kind of day. Um, that is indeed the onboarding is actually more costly for us. So for us, one incentive is to make sure that we can support those um, you know, growing number of customers. And this, you know, on one side, containers where they are very isolated and independent on, in their own right, and also the open source on the other side allows us to, to manage this cost and make sure that we understand the code as much as possible when it comes to open source to help our customers. Or when it comes to containers, we have this you know, um, essentially isolated part that can function on its own so we can see whether it's something within our system that's wrong or whether there is a problem within the container so we can manage our cost and support because that's the biggest you know, cost that we have and might have a, re- a linear relationship with the number of customers that we have, which, which would stop our scaling. So f- from, from my point of view, it is actually from the vendor side both open source and containers helps quite a lot with, with the fact that we can support more customers and increase the ratio of customer to staff for us and actually be a, be a better business in, in, in long term. Gotcha, gotcha. No, that, that's, it, it's interesting both from a, you know, what, I'll, what I'll sort of call weave as a, a vendor side approach in, in terms of talking about you sort of, your business model begins to look like a, as a service approach and then you talking about you know, from, a, from a Cloud 66 perspective, it's you know, managing the inputs, managing your, your inside costs to be able to, to be flexible about what you offer in terms of services, how fast you have to get from, you know, sort of introductory engagement with you to, to more long-term types of things. So, no, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting every time we see these big technology shifts, you, you really 
you see the most creative people coming up with what do the business models look like, you know, which things get reused from the past, and maybe it is 20 years ago, and, and in some cases, you know, what does is, what is a new business model look like? So, um, guys, I want to be very, very conscious of your time. I know you're both, uh, you know, running very, very fast-moving uh, environments. Thank you so much for being on today. What's the best way to for folks to, to engage with, with either one of you or your companies or where are you guys going to be out in the marketplace if people can come talk to you? So I'm going to be in San Francisco next week um, for a few days. If anyone wants to meet me, they can get in touch. Um, I may not be able to see everybody who wants to meet me, but it would be great to see a few people. Maybe there could be an evening of a few weave beers or something like that, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, to be determined. And um, so I'll be around until Thursday afternoon. My email address is um, alexis at weave.works. Uh, or you can check out our website, weave.works, uh, or our blog, weaveblog. Uh, notice we do we are not a .com. We are a .works uh, TLD. Yeah, first, the first .works I think I've seen. Uh, Cash, what about you? Where's the, where are you guys going to be uh, out and about, or just what's the best way to folks to, to engage with you guys? Sure. Um, so um, I, I tend to spend three weeks in London, one week in San Francisco. Um, so I'll be, I'll be over. Um, I'm in London now, uh, but next month... April, again, uh, I'm going to be between 12th and 19th. I'm going to be in San Francisco and now in London. Um, my email is cash, K-H-A-S-H, at cloud66.com. You know, that's cool as we've, we, we were still .com. Well, guys, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, folks, um, if you like the show, as always, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net. Uh, Aaron will be back later in the week. So for Alexis... And for cash, uh, folks, thank you so much for the time today and the conversation, and we will see you again next time.